Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm Dan Cottrell, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast to talk about Doug Lemoff's fantastic book, The Coach's Guide to Teaching, Reese Williams and Mike Pope. So uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Excited. Well, you'll get uh, to know those voices in a moment. So I'm going to ask quickly uh, Mike to introduce himself to the podcast. Yeah, uh, Mike Pope. I'm currently coaching at Bournemouth Rugby Club, uh, Bath DPP and uh, at school, uh, Bournemouth Pages School in Bournemouth. Yes, and Mike is speaking from the classroom, so should a pupil come in and ask him a complicated question, that's what's going to happen. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Reese is looking a very professional, uh, surrounded by drum kits and uh, great microphones. So, Reese, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, Reese Williams. I coach uh, at Bancroft Rugby Club in Essex. Also coach at uh, Davenant Foundation School, also also in Essex, and I'm just about to start coaching in the in the DPP here too. Great. So I'm delighted to have both you guys on because obviously you come with a wealth of uh, coaching backgrounds and ideas and thoughts. And it was Mike who um, uh, in particular grabbed my attention by saying I've just um, been thinking about uh, Doug's book and I'd love to talk to other coaches about it. And I thought, well, this is fantastic because I'm always very keen to talk about coaching and in particular Doug's very rich, dense Book. And when I say dense, what I mean by that is that it is very um, beautifully written, but there is so much in it. I think we come out thinking, oh, dear, what, what am I going to do next with it? So I just want to start, throw it over to you, Mike. You you wanted to talk about it. So what in particular um, is grabbing your attention at the moment? Uh, yeah, no, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of... Um the amount of, of valuable content that's in it. And um, a bit like Reese probably read it a few times now and, and I've tried to make as many notes as I, as I can. And it's um, it's a little bit overwhelming to be honest. And that's why I reached out originally was because I actually left with more questions than, than answers. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, to speak to, to fellow coaches about, you know, if they'd read it and, and what they'd take from it and how they've sort of, um, how it's impacted their 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 coaching really um for me i think reese is going to talk on this as well um the 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 bit that really really stood out to me was uh the planning and and not necessarily like the session design but more about the the sort of the overall um plan the the macro plan if you like and then breaking it down uh into smaller chunks and uh in particular the, the sort of the units or uh, I know he refers to like a six week unit, um, maybe slightly less for, for more novice or, or younger learners. Um, and yeah, trying to be more, uh, proactive rather than reactive. Um, you know, 
what went wrong on Saturday and then trying to trying to amend that rather than sticking to the process and what you've what you've put down on paper really um, making sure that we get that that long-term uh, learning that sticky learning I'm interested to explore the idea of how we get something out of a book actually now you've said you've made made notes and this is something I do and I and I I always wonder uh, whether that is the best way to to come away with the most from a book. So do we make notes because it's something that we've been told it's a good idea? Uh, do we make it because it actually makes a difference to us? So not that uh, I'm asking you to show us your notes. It sounds like a, a classroom exercise there. But in, in terms of trying to gain something out of a book, is why does that make a difference to you and how does that help you? Um, yeah, I, I guess... Again, just going back to your point originally about the, the sort of the sheer volume of, of, of information, and uh, of course, like you know, I've 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 been in situations before where I've I've taken notes and I've taken those notes into sessions, and um, it's actually really sort of hindered my my delivery. To be completely honest with you, um, you know, it's just not authentic. Um, you know, you're 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 reading and trying to think, well, I'll do this next, I'll do this next, and you're trying to essentially like tick off you know in theory what what should work but you know on, re on reflection that's definitely not the way to do it and um so for me um what i've tried to change is just to take little snippets out and uh, essentially i like, create almost like an idp for myself like i would a player um and every time i review like my coaching now i i try and just be really specific on, on what i'm looking at um in terms of what I've taken from, you know, Doug's book, for example. So, uh, like questioning or feedback. So I'm only going to look at this in, in my, in my coaching review. Um, cause we can get, you know, we can get overwhelmed with the amount of stuff we're trying to improve on. And if we try and look at everything, I just don't think you improve on anything. So, um, I'm trying to break, break it down into, into smaller chunks really, and just focus on those for a time. And, and again, a bit like the, the, the chapter I think we're going to discuss in a minute is then going back to it sort of, you know, every so often like interleaving it and, and making sure that we revisit it so that we don't just check it off and say, right, yeah, I've nailed my questioning and then I've never, I never look at it again. Um, you know, it's just not the way, you know, it, and that's the thing, that's what I've learned, learned from this um, experience is that, um, you know, you've got to keep revisiting it, which I know sounds really, really basic and really obvious, but, um, but yeah, it's just so many times I've gone, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've done that, tick that off, I'm happy, and then don't look at it ever again, and, and no wonder it, it degrades. <laughs> Well, one of the things I can remember from Doug's book is he does he talks about fundamentals, fundamentals all the time, um, and he says you've got to keep coming back to that, and that comes back to feedback. So we, we will uh, maybe chat about uh, IDP, individual development plans, and interleaving as we go along. So Reese, uh, just picking up on that, and I know you were busy writing your own notes as we were going along. So note making must either be useful or you're trying to impress us by yeah or it's friends. just a habit yes. yeah it might be it might be neither useful nor impressive but it's just what i do and have done since i was about 12 yeah so do you want to I, sort of uh, continue on from where mike uh went yeah out? yeah so so i think just to um just to pick up on a couple of things so one one is definitely there's a ton in this book and it feels less like a book and more like a tr tr treasure trove <laughs> and i think with some of the some of the um the problems with 
with the book is that the, uh, this idea that you'd read it once and then that that'd be it. You've you smashed it, tick, achieved, read the book. And I think that um, we shouldn't be afraid to come back to things. And I think what, one of the things I like about how it's written, and actually lots of books like this uh, are, are done like this, that they're, they're, they're made for reference as well. So I think it's not just a, a book that you read from beginning to an end. It's, it's a book where you, so for instance, I knew I was having this conversation. So I went back through the book and I didn't read it again, but I've scanned it. And I think it's very scannable the way it's structured, uh, you know, it means. Uh, and, and actually, you don't need much to remind you what it was on about, you know, as in those the, the little, little triggers. So I'm definitely a note writer. Um, but the, my notes are more a reminder to me of the whole. I'm not trying to, like, rewrite Doug's book into my phone or onto a, onto a bit of paper. It's more like, a, oh, yeah, I remember that idea. And if I can't remember it, then I've written down some page numbers so that I can go back and have a look again. Um, so in terms of how, like, how, do you use a, how do you use a book, um, uh, I wish I was as organised as, as Mike seems to be, because I'll tell you how, I, how I've used <laughs> I it. I wouldn't go that far, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. i I tell you how I've used it, is that, so I'm, I'm planning at least three session, three rugby sessions a week, at least three, sometimes more, sometimes a lot more. And so the, and I've been lucky, you know, compared to like the protracted months of not coaching that we've just experienced. Um, I'm lucky in the sense I've always got an, uh, an imminent opportunity to try a thing. So if there's a, if there's an idea in a book that I've read that I want to, that I want to try, I've got an opportunity to do that really, really fast. So like if I read it on a Monday, I might be able to do it on a Tuesday, that, that kind of thing. So I suppose what I, what I did was as I was reading it, I picked on a handful of things just that I thought would make a difference in the moment. So I just thought, oh, actually, that would be a really good thing to add or change about how I'm doing it at the moment that I think would have impact. And so I've just put it into practice. What that does mean is that quite often, if I look back over things that I've added or changed about how I coach i can't always trace it back to to where it came from because i'm taking a lot of stuff in and trying to change in a fairly fluid way so the example that i that i that mike mentioned just now and that i mentioned to you before dan was 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 on planning um because i think i hear this quite a lot from people coaches i talk to about you know the idea that that we just sort of um our sessions are planned around things that have recently gone wrong you know, so you go, oh, the line out was a disaster. So we're going to do line out. And then you come back and you go, the line out was improved, but now the breakdown's a disaster. And that you're basically just, cha- you know, like like the kind of the, um, you know, the kink in the carpet. You're just sort of chasing it around the room. And there's, you know, basically wherever you're not looking will go wrong and wherever you are looking goes right. That that sort of thing. And so I've definitely been guilty of guilty of that in the past. But actually, one of the benefits of the last year of with you know, playing just a handful of games in 16 months is being able to break out of that. So I actually, probably this time last year, I wanted to plan a season. I wanted to work out exactly what is it, what is it that we're going to try and achieve in a season. And I had a go at it and I'd say that I failed. Uh, I didn't, I don't think the sessions were a failure and I don't think the, you know, I can definitely look and say that the team improved, but I can't say that the sessions succeeded, all the players improved because of the things I've added. And yet when I read Doug's book, it it opened my mind to the things that I had done wrong and could now potentially do right. So, um, and and for me, the, the biggest, the single biggest learning I got from this book is the idea that 
on leaving your rugby session, the, the process of forgetting what you've just learned begins. So I've walked off the field and I'm walking towards the car and it's already leaking out of my ears. And by the time I come back four days later, because that's, that's, you know, my world is that we might work on three or four day gaps. Um, by the time I come back, I've forgotten most slash all of it. And I think that I was guilty of observing um, improvement within a session and thinking that my job was done. And whereas now what I'm trying to do is, is to say, until I see it unprompted in the game, and that might be a competitive fixture, but it might be a game in, in training. So, But the point is, until, until it comes out when we're not thinking about it and we're not focusing on it, we haven't, we haven't learned it. So that was the, that was the the single biggest thing that that changed for me. So I mentioned I did I did exactly what Doug suggests doing, which is a six week a six week plan, and it coincided with restarting that after the most recent break. And I knew that we were going to be dealing bringing contact back after you know we do, and we really didn't do much before Christmas, uh, but even though we were allowed to, we chose we chose not to. But this time I knew we wanted to do it, um, and. So as part of a graduated return to contact, you know, getting getting people from a position where they had either never done it or that they had not done it for a year and a half to the point where they were really comfortable doing it. And we were, you know, to, to the point where we could go in a game and we could be competitive. Um, and I worked out how I was going to do that. And I did that using using a, a, a model, I mean, drawn partly from Doug's book, but also like soaking up loads of other stuff I'd read. So so I and what I did is I worked out where I wanted to end up. And that was the most important thing for me is, is going like, I know we finished this when X, Y, and Z, you know, these, these are the things we'll be, we'll be doing and doing well when we, when we're done. And then I worked out across, and it wasn't quite six weeks, actually. I think it was, it was like four to six uh, in my original plan. And it ended up being eight, you know, because of how things take as long as they take. Um, I then broke it all down into all the things I thought we would need to put in to be at that point by the end. And I'll just give you a few obvious examples that you can you can do the tackle without doing the tackle. You know, that there, there's all the pre-tackle type stuff. There's what you do when you've got the ball, what you do when you haven't got the ball to get yourself in the position where that tackle can happen. There's ball presentation. There is somebody coming over to protect the ball all of these things can happen before you've done it before you've done a tackle uh, and then and then literally lay, layering on like now we're gonna someone's gonna come in and we're gonna have a contest uh, and now we're gonna up the numbers now we're gonna train the options and what have you but basically which it's it's like um it's instead of it being um a dot to dot where you don't know what the picture is when you start it's more like coloring in you know i've got a i've got the the, the picture that i imagine i'm looking at and i'm coloring it in as i go and so, so for me, then the next thing that happened was, and I think this is just as important as the plan itself, is knowing how far I can take us on that plan in each session. And that that's different, not necessarily different for every player, but there are obvious groups of players within, within my squad who are at different places. So I've got, let's say there's four here who need to be doing tackling with no impact at all. So like a standing a standing tackle. And then there's some that's a low impact or low speed. And then slowly we're, we're moving up to where it's the, the, the full Monty. And that I might have four squads within a squad who are, who are all at different points on that, on that spectrum. But I know that because I've mapped the spectrum. 
you know, and, and because I know I know where they where they're going to be, and I can actually, I can, and I think we'll come to this when we talk about feedback. I can look at what I'm seeing and go, am I seeing this yet? Am I seeing that yet? And I can cycle through some things that we can try to try and improve it, um, and then um, so being adaptable in the sense that you can you can decide which of you know imagine it's like bus stops decide which bus stop we're getting on at and which one we're going to get off at today and then knowing that we might have to go back and go again and and I think sorry to because I've ramble on but the 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 last thing is that I love the idea that I I go into it knowing that it will probably fail and so one of the things that uh, Doug talks about and has talked about a lot is the idea that Bjork talked about performance and learning. And um, in terms of observing where learning is happening, how are you doing that? Because obviously you're doing that in a school environment as well. And this is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, I think, I suppose going back to, I can't remember what chapter it is. It's either checking for understanding or, feedback but um, Reese has mentioned it you, you have your, your, your checklist of um, what you want to see um, you know if if, if I if, if if I imagine the perfect picture to be this I need to see x y and z and I can tick that off and, and say right right guys like you know I'm seeing this this is great okay now we'll air on this um, I suppose again it's it's seeing it without, I know Reese has already said this, but it is seeing it without there being any sort of prompt to see it. So, you know, at the end of your unit, if you planned it right, you can say, yeah, like I'm confident that guys understand, you know, what we're trying to achieve, um, you know, in counterattack or something like that. So how do you get that confidence? Where does that come from? Is that just um, a bit of innate, I, I know this, this seems right, or can you actually... Do you actually have a well, sort of template that so, says this is right? Well, th- this is where I need to, where I'd like to get to. Um, and again, forgive me, I'm not sure exactly what chapter it is, but he talks about um, you know, uh, actual like observational analysis and, and coming up with, like you said, like a template whereby you know you could give it to an injured player or you could give it to a co-coach or something. And I suppose that will help guide or yeah yeah guide your where you're going next or, or help answer whether or not you've got it but again like, I'm, I'm conscious of I don't want it to be like we've absolutely nailed this because again like Reese has mentioned you know um, forgetting happens and and if you never revisit it unless they're seeing it all the time or doing it all the time naturally then there's obviously going to be some form of of um performance um decrease um so yeah that's where i'd like to get to next is is making sure i you know i have actually got evidence whether it's through video or or through you know just really simple it gives you some really simple um sort of guides or templates on on on, you know how you can observe better like observe what you're you're actually coaching and and, you know that sort of behavior change or or that that learning um taking place i mean doug's very keen on uh the use of our eyes and how we see things. Um, from my own point of view, I think that uh, you have a sense of flow, uh, of athletic flow, and you see that that seems right for some reason. 
but that sense is sometimes it doesn't seem to work. I mean, uh, not that uh, I want to spend too much time thinking about cricket, but there's a couple of batsmen which just don't look right, yet they're very effective. Uh, there are some people who pass the ball in, an, in an unusual ways, but it seems to work. But to try and cut across about four or five different sports, I think Nick Faldo often talks uh, in golf on the fourth day when you're under pressure, does your technique hold up under pressure? And I suppose those are the sorts of things that you've got to try and create. Another thing that Doug talks about is desirable difficulty. Um, and again, this is an interesting thing to to explore how do we create that desirable difficulty. So I suppose going over to you, Reese, on that, uh, within your plans, um, by the time we reach week five of your plan, the plan was obviously being changed a bit. How, how are you creating those desirable difficulties within yeah. that? Or is that something um, which happens naturally? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think it does happen naturally because it's quite a conscious a conscious thing. It might happen naturally, but, but the point is I've set out to, to do it. So the the interesting thing is that the plan doesn't change. What what changes is where we are on the plan. Mm. So so you imagine if imagine there's eight eight stops on my my uh, metaphorical bus journey mm. and that I think I've got to stop four. And so I might arrive back going let's restart at stop four only to find out actually we're still at we're still at stop two. But the point is that within a session I'm trying to stretch people beyond to put them in a slightly harder place than they were in before, provided that they look like they're ready to move on. And I think the mistake I've made before is that I have been too hasty to to tick the box of that they've done it now, they've learnt it. You know, as in they either that they understand this idea or that they are demonstrating that they understand it through the things they're doing on the on the field. And so now, you know, as I was saying just now, that that because because now I'm expecting them not to have learnt it. So, so I, I went through a few, I'll give you an example of, of, of how I do it. Let's imagine, let's say I want someone to present the ball in a certain way. And, and there's not one way, there's a series of options, but saying these are, these, these are the options and how do you pick the right option and this sort of stuff. And I'm saying, um, okay, I'm going to reward when it happens. So I might have a clicker and I'm going to give your side a point when you do it. And then I might say, I'm now going to penalise it when it doesn't happen. And then... I might say, actually, I'm not even going to tell you that I'm doing it and I'm just going to do it in the background and go, why do you think this side is scoring 100 points and this side is scoring 20? You know, that that sort of thing. Or I might do, remember that thing we did on Wednesday? Let's do that without saying what it was. You know, and those those sorts of things. And they're, they're all just ways. That, so Doug talks about retrieval practice, you know, this idea that if you go back into your memory to to find something that you're just on the point of forgetting, then that creates new space for that in your in your brain. So, you know, you've got finite working memory, as in like you can only remember a certain number of things at, at any one time until it goes into your long term memory where the capacity is virtually infinite. So it's it's that thing of constantly trying to drag it out, that thing that you learned that you were on the point of forgetting. Now, Mike, you just to sort of build on some of the things they are talking about retrieval practice, but within uh, practicing, you mentioned uh, interleaving, which is something which Doug has uh, also picked up on. I mean, this is... Uh, um, if you listen to Rob Gray uh, um, on his podcast, The Perception of Coupling, he will talk about this as well. And this is not uncommon to talk about in sport now. Uh, it's been uh, big in uh, mainstream education for a while. W what is it and 
how does that look for you and why is it important? So that's three questions. Mm, yeah. If you can, if that goes into your working memory and you can, uh, they're sticks, that's be even better. I'm just going to write them down. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Make some notes. Um, so this is, this is something again, it's, it's probably where I've come away with more questions than answers. So, and it's something I'm, I'm, I'm exploring now. It's like, you know, how, what does interleaving look like um, in the, so for example, on a Tuesday, we might be looking at, um, we'll use the, we'll use the principles of play as a, as a, as a good, as a simple sort of reference. Um, so on Tuesday, we might look at go forward and attack. Um, Thursday, we might be looking at assessing threats and defense. Um, but then on that Thursday, and this is the, this is what I've sort of the way in which I've interpreted it is on that Thursday, we might sort of, again, trying to avoid the forgetting, we might chuck in some, some go forward very, very briefly um, in, in that session, just to sort of, again, try and challenge them to, to bring it out of the working memory, apply it, and then we'll go back into, um, into the assessing threat session, for example. Or we've, we've tried ways as well where we've decided to, we'll be in the middle of a session and we've decided to, in the middle of a game, just jump or, or bounce into some sort of skill blocks and whether or not, you know, someone way smarter than me will be able to tell me whether or not this is interleaving. But with the idea being that by coming out of the game and getting them to think of something else and then going back into the game, can they, you know, are they having to work harder to to sort of remember where they finished off, you know, at, before they went into the skills? And the skills, are, in theory, should be completely unrelated to the task of the game if you're trying to interleave, I guess, because you're, you're asking them to essentially focus on something different and then come back to the game and then how quickly can they, um, can they retrieve stuff from that, from their long-term memory um, to, to get back into the game as quickly as possible. But again, that's, I don't know whether that's right or wrong or that was, that's kind of been my interpretation of it and, and some stuff we've been trying at the club. But um, again, whether it's, whether that's correct or not, I don't know. And that's where I, you know, I'm fascinated to talk to other people to see how they've done it. Well, I think uh, that interleaving is that's what I understand is that you are moving between different types of tasks. Uh, of course, it could be slightly counterintuitive because um, you are then um, creating lots of thoughts during one particular mm. session. Uh, which might be too many for that session. So you're sort of overloading yeah. players. But what you're definitely saying is that you're coming back to something that you've done you've done already. Yes. Yeah, yeah, essentially. So, um, and then, yeah, like the next Tuesday, it'll be then, right, we're looking at go forward again. And I think this is where the, the six-week sort of unit plan comes in, is how often are we, you know, how often, I think Doug refers to the, in a six week, he said you might do two from attack, two from defense, and then two in encounter. Um, and then, yeah, it's just planning that, you know, what, what that looks like to you, and then make sure you revisit it. And then, obviously, six, well, I don't know, I, the way in which people obviously plan their season is different to me. But um, then, sort of week 18, we go first week back at week 19, we're then back at, at essentially week one, but hopefully, we're, we're 
adding an extra layer of complexity to it so that you know we're we're getting better so they, they can they can recall that that information hopefully if we've done it correctly you know it's in the long-term memory from that six-week unit block and then when we come back to it it's like right guys yeah okay this is what we're doing however we're going to add another level of, of difficulty or complexity or whatever you want to call it onto it and then you're back into the cycle again and, um and i think I, again i've only just read it and i'm you know we're going into a new season so it's gonna be interesting to see how you know how strict i can be with myself to, to do this and to just trust the process rather than you know having a knee-jerk reaction on saturday i'm not saying you can't look at certain things but it, I think it is a real case of, of being strict and just sticking to that plan that you've put in place. And one thing I'd love to, to, to talk about, and maybe in this session or maybe another one, is, is where, you know, where this comes in, though, in terms of like the learner that you've got, as in their age and stage. And so like I'm talking about seniors. Um, but again, like they'll have a different, you know, some will be novice, some will be expert. So it's okay well where does this come into to to the senior level like and, and obviously then then you know youth um like how does it vary how does it differ um yeah something else that fascinates me <laughs> i think it's worth picking up on the interleaving is that you're not introducing six new ideas in uh, into one session and hoping the players will jump around uh, it is to as you've said uh you may go off and do a skill zone um which is unrelated to what you've just been doing, but it is something that you've already you've already talked about, um, and therefore they are drawing back on their uh, long-term memory as opposed to you filling up their working memory with completely new ideas. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've got to challenge them uh, in in that way. Here we are, uh, Rugby Coach Weekly podcast, talking about Doug Lemoff's book. Uh, the Coach's Guide to Teaching. And um, I now want to explore a little bit more around feedback, which Doug talks about in a chapter, chapter three, I think it is, and he's got the 101, uh, 201, and 301 of um, feedback. And I just want to see how Reese and Mike um, think about what that's done to their thinking around about feedback and to explore some ideas around about that. So, Reese, over to you. What did you pull out of what Doug was saying? How did this confirm or change your mind? Yeah, so it was a few, there's a few things. So I think I've been guilty in the past of um, I want to solve all of the problems all at once, all of the time. So sometimes I'll go, here, you know, here are the following 19 things I've just noticed about about the game we've just played, you know, that that kind of thing. And and, um, and I, I think I knew that that was rubbish, but I didn't necessarily have a have an alternative to it. And and um, one of the things that Doug talks about in the book is it's just about, you know, sort of radically, drastically narrowing down the range of things that you're looking at or commenting on. And that um, not to do that thing whereby you you make a comment you implement something and then you never ever refer to it ever again. So they're just coming again, coming back, repeating, 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 but also saying, look, the stuff that I see that's happening. Um, yeah, I might want to fix it. Yeah. I might want to change it, but actually it's just noise, get rid of it and, and concentrate just on that thing that we're working on today. Because the point you make very eloquently in the book is that by commenting on that other stuff, 
not only is it not helping, but it's actually hindering because you're loading more stuff into people's brains than than needs to be there and actually distracting from the the core point you're trying to make and the, that one thing you're trying to learn. So definitely that. I think the other thing for me is um, he talks about it in this book and in another book of his that I've read called Practice Perfect about shortening the feedback loop. So I shouldn't have to wait five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, four days to apply the thing we've just learned. I should apply it as close as possible to, to learning that lesson. So I've, I've been doing, I mean, I always did a, quite a lot of freezes and replays and, and that sort of stuff, but I've been doing more and more and more um, so that people have an opportunity immediately to apply the thing that we've just talked about. And, and I think that's, I can visibly see. Now I'm just uh, interested in taking that point on that uh, feedback um, can break the flow. So uh, replays and freezes are extremely powerful ways to capture a moment. But if you're doing that a lot, then the players start to think, oh, God, all right, sorry, Reese. okay, what are you going to say? But really, I want to get back in the game. So how do you um, get that balance right between keep stopping and uh, keeping the, the, the session flowing? Um, I don't stop anything in the in the moment so so let's say f for instance is i've seen a particular thing i let the game play on and then the next time there's a an opportunity when the when the game has a natural break then i might come back and say look i just want to come back to a thing that happened a minute ago just talk about it and we're going to restart the game with that with that moment okay i like, I like that so sort of restarting the game with that moment as opposed to right we're going to stop the game now i'm going to talk it through and then we'll continue so okay yeah, because that's really frustrating. And and also, like, they might sort out that problem by themselves. They don't necessarily need me to, you know, it might be that there's another opportunity comes up five seconds later and the job's done and you don't have to stop it at all. So so definitely, definitely that. Um, the other thing is just putting a limit on it, either for yourself or, or saying, like, with replay, sometimes the players, the players call it, and that's definitely my preference, is if they say, look, that moment's gone wrong, can we have a replay? Yeah, of course you can. Great. What would you change? Brilliant. Away you go. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like you were saying earlier about the word facilitator, I'm I'm just going, yeah, crack on, go for it. Um, sometimes they won't do that. Um, I also go, do you want a replay? And if they say no, I might move on. You know, all of the all of these things. That I can't say that there's one fixed way of doing it well, but there's just a load of different things you can try and see what yeah, works. And, in the and uh, Doug definitely says in the book uh, that well-worn phrase: "It depends." Uh, that uh, yeah. it absolutely depends on the moment and there's no one fixed way of giving feedback and we shouldn't become slaves to those two, one or two ways. We should try and do that. And I really like the idea of you giving the opportunity for players to actually maybe call out whether they want to replay a moment. And I also think that there's a there's a time saying, no, we're not going to replay it. We'll come back to it at a later time. I want to, want to move on. So we've got to share that responsibility. Mike, how, how are you seeing yeah. sort of moving the keeping the feedback loop short and appropriate? Mm. So I think um, I think what what you said there is, is is quite interesting in in that you don't stop the game. So I know I've been guilty before of, of like freezing a game, talking about that moment, and then letting them play. And and I think as long as you keep it brief. Because um, you know you have you, you see some coaches that and I, I was probably one of those that would freeze it and then like two minutes later you're still going you know and that's again something that you can you can work on and, and you can track yourself you know post session watch your GoPro or listen to your audio and 
tell why I, I overspoke there. I'm going to give myself a 30 second time limit or something. Um, but I quite like the idea of, of of coming back to the area in which you want to to address, um, you know, rather than freezing it. Because I have seen coaches before where they'll talk about a moment in the in the past, but it's in the past. The players have moved on from that, so. To then try and refer back to a moment that happened maybe like one, two, three minutes ago is is pointless in my opinion. Um, so the fact that you're going to come back to it, it is quite cool. It's not something I've I've tried before. Just thinking now, like what are the, the pros and cons of that. But you know, there's there's so many ways to skin a cat. Um, <laughs> but something I, I I've written down here is is like a rule of three. So like when you're observing, you know, if you see something, going back to Reese's point about you know. You don't have to stop it every time. They might they might adjust it. They might improve it without even intervening. So, but if you if you have that rule of three in your head, and actually that's that's once, that's twice. Right? I'm seeing the same mistake or the same problem three times now. Now I know it's it's maybe a an issue that they're struggling with, and that's when I can I can step in and, and try and solve that. Um, but I think the the best thing um, that I've I've found is is if you're in the, if you're lucky enough to have co-coaches is is to have them really clear you know give them exact um things to look for and they can coach that on the run um they can feed that into you so when you get to your huddle or from the co-coach you know you 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 presented the ball it's pretty sloppy let's try and fix that you know talk about 20 seconds how are you gonna um how you're gonna improve that and then back into the game um, you know, yeah, I, I think it's a big one. My, the biggest one for me at the moment is, is probably end of session or maybe like end of a, a particular block in, in training. It's so easy to to just try and tell the players what you, what you've seen or what they they've missed, and um, and that's just to, to yeah, I, I know for a fact because I've been there before as a player. It's just switch off. <laughs> um, I'll be finished soon, and then we'll be playing again. So. Yeah, so let me pick up on something, and I'm going to jump over to you in a moment, Reese. is uh, in terms of the feedback focus. Uh, one thing I love of it is the, the rule, your rule of three. I thought you were going to do the Mark Bennett rule of three uh, oh, no, for no, a no. moment, which is also very powerful. Yeah, yeah. But the, the fact is sometimes they'll fix it for themselves, and that is that patience to say, I'm not going to jump in. They've made that mistake once. They might have worked out what it is. The second time, they may have worked out, but I haven't quite nailed it. And the third time, yeah, they've got it. Um, something which I've started to do a bit more, um, and I'm, I'm sure it's based on some of the things we've been talking about, is actually telling the players what I'm going to be telling, feeding back on. I'm going to say, uh, right, we've uh, in this group huddle, uh, you've worked out that you want to um, attack weak shoulders or you want to uh, create space in this way. This is what I'm going to be focusing on. I'm going to be feeding back on it as we go along. So it might be that I just do a thumbs up because they've said they want to do it and I've got a, something to do it. But then when we come back into the uh, maybe the huddle or maybe we're just uh, feeding back as we're going along, I can say, right, I was looking for this and you asked me to look at this and this is what you've, this is how you've done it because they can't necessarily do that. Um, so that's just my own thought. Now, Reese, I know you're going to come in with a point about uh, something that Warren Abrahams has come up with. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I've observed this firsthand, seen, seen him coach. And um, Doug talks in the book about binary feedback. 
So in other words, yes, you did it or yeah, no, you didn't. Like this one. And there's no, there's no grey area. Either you did it or you didn't. And Warren plays. I mean, pretty much all of Warren's skill games that I've observed like follow this follow this rule, whereby let, let's say he's working one and one with a, with a player. There were one particular game I saw him play with a with a player where the 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 players got um, uh, three balls on the left, three balls on the right. They're picking up a ball, running into a zone, and then passing the ball. To, to Warren as if they were, you know, like a 10 running onto the ball and passing the ball to a centre or what have you. And if Warren judges your pass to be of sufficient quality, you get the ball back. And if you don't, he keeps it. And the game finishes when you've run out of when you've run <laughs> out of rugby balls. So so it's 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 the most frustrating thing in the world because um he doesn't even really tell you. He doesn't go that one was too low or that one was too high or that one dipped a bit, or or, or whatever. He, he won't even tell he won't even tell you that. But it's, you get the ball back, or you do, or you don't. And I've seen it like climb into a player's brain to the extent that they then will find a mate and want to practice that for four or five days be, between sessions because it's so incredibly frustrating um, and tr- desperately trying to understand what's gone wrong. Now, because this is like almost agonising but yet also fantastically effective because what you want to do is try and beat Warren or, 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 or equivalent. But, you know, you want to go like, I wanted to get all six balls, balls back. Uh, um, and I want to know exactly why and exactly what I want to improve. But the point is the onus is all on me to get it right rather than necessarily him to do too much chatting or talking. Just, just to jump in on that, I think, because again, I, I know, I don't know him, but I know of him obviously. And um, could you argue that, I don't know in what context you saw this this sort of game, but again, like if he's working with one of the internationals, for example, then in theory you'd want them to be able to sort of self-correct and, and self-ID where they've gone wrong. Whereas if you've got, I don't know, an under thirteen, would you know, would that could that essentially could he go away and work four days on on the wrong thing almost? Um, but in a way, all he's working on is the outcome of does he get the ball to where? Well, yeah, that, I guess, and that's if that's yeah. if that's it. If it's yeah, and it was with a boy. It was with a. It was a with a mm. with a young player with a. They're very capable, but but nevertheless, you know, yeah. inexperienced player whose technique mm. was pretty flaky. You know, was 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 not mm. that reliable, um, but. It led to a vast level of improvement. I mean, the other thing I heard was um, I went with my son to a school of kicking, kicking workshop, and they said that there's different kinds of t- training. So there might be a bit that's just focused on technique where the outcome doesn't matter. Um, there's a bit where the outcome does matter, but you know, where you can have as many kicks as you like. And then there's the pressure bit, which is the you're going to have ten kicks, and if you miss the last one, and this is a, and a direct quote from the coach on the day. If you miss the last one, you pick up your ball and go home. And he said, and, and I was, again, you know, you see all the, these kids kind of like leaving in tears because I missed a kick. And uh, or, or you, you, as soon as you miss a kick, you'll go, you'll go finishes, you know, so that there's really loads of pressure. Um, and that, you know, leading to, leading to lots of, you know, emotional angst about it. But th- their argument was, A, that's, that's real. So there's going to be a moment where that, Emotional angst happens for real. Only it's your mum and your dad and everyone you know is watching, you know, that kind of thing. But then B, it's the desire to, for that not to happen again is what keeps you coming back. And again, this sounds really harsh to me and it's not necessarily the way that the way that I feel comfortable doing it yet. 
but I've observed it and I've observed it being incredibly effective at fueling that desire to improve inside the individual. I think one of the things that Doug also um, is keen to point out is that feedback is not learning. Uh, we give we give feedback to allow learning to happen. And uh, part of what you just said there, Reese, is creating that sort of motivation to go on and learn. Um, and uh, I like this idea of making making the coach, you, you want to please the coach. Um, a very, very long time ago, uh, Kevin Bowering said to me, I was very lucky that uh, I knew, knew him when I was just going into coaching. And he said that, um, and I, I was quite surprised when he said this, he said, uh, I want my players to run through brick walls for me. And what what he wasn't trying to do is trying to make himself like the center of attention. But it's almost as if you're in it together. And therefore, if I'm going to give you feedback, it's because I think it's worth it and you think it's worth it for me. Um, and that's that's quite a hard dynamic to create, especially if you're not working with the players um, that that often. Uh, one of the things that I, I picked out just to just to just take take us slightly differently is the sort of language that you use in the feedback. Um, obviously, a lot of coaching is about relationships, and that is there's there's a lot less science to it than maybe some of the things that we're talking about. Um, one of the things that Doug uses quite a lot or is observed is that in feedback you say something is good and then you ask them to do it quicker or you give them a standard that they're trying to reach. If you want to play for the first team, you'll need to do that quicker. Or that's good, but if we want to win on Saturday, we've got to do it quicker. Just quickly to pick up on that, is your language the same? Is it different? How how are you giving feedback? Uh, we'll start with you, Mike. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think... I suppose from from a from a performance point of view, um, yeah, I think that is important because just just from experience and and having now sort of began or started coaching senior players where you know where they're keen to play on a Saturday for the first team and whatnot, they just like to know where to get better or how to get better, and you know, it's, I don't, it's not necessarily a spoon feeding process, but. I think as long as they are clear of what you expect of them and, you know, because we've all been in, in sort of team selection before or been involved in us in being selected for a team and it's not happened and, and you, you want to know why. And it's just a really shady, just, you know, like nonsense answer. And you're like, well, that, that gives me nothing. Like, I have nothing to, to go away with and, and improve on there. So, um, but again, like I suppose that that's a, that's a selection. That's from a selection point of view. It could be, like you said, Dan, in, in terms of like a game. You know, like you could use it as a as a, as a breakdown. I guess like the breakdown. We, we need it to be three seconds, but at the moment it's five, and and that could be enough feedback for them to change their behaviour or you know get them to to think again about you know are we are we using footwork before we take contact? Are we finding space instead of a face? is our ball present you know as good as it could be and um i suppose the idea of feedback is is like you said it's not necessarily 
learning like the, that's probably the teaching part and then the learning part is then then seeing that change in behavior or or, or that that you know you can go away and say yeah like they've they've taken that feedback on board and it has actually affected the way in which they do things reese yeah i mean i think um i've got a bit of an angle on this because i the example he uses in the book is is of a someone teaching someone to play the cello i think and and um and because i'm a i'm a musician yeah and it's yeah that's brilliant now i want you to do it again now can you do it three times and and, and that sort of stuff and it's the it's that thing about how how repeatable is it you know and because it, it's physical you know i've learned to play several musical instruments and and it's that it's can be very taxing on the brain and the fingers to reproduce something, and especially if you've done something and you're really pleased with yourself. I've done that thing. Yeah, I've nailed it. And then someone goes, brilliant. Now do that another four times. It's, it's, it's terrible, but that is the, until you can do it every time you haven't learned it. So I think that's a really good, um, I think that's a really good and really helpful thought that what do you, how do you deal with success when you see it over and above praise, you know, just saying that was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Can you do it again? Is a is a is a, I've I've certainly taken. Yeah, and that. he's he's very uh, keen to say that uh, just saying it's awesome, it's great, isn't isn't going to be isn't going to be enough uh, for them. You've got to uh, you've got to take it to the to the next level. Right. Well, we're um, we said we were going to go for forty minutes. We've uh, the feedback is that we're going to go over that. But uh, and as the density of the book is means that. We could obviously talk for a very long time. So I just want to sort of um, round this up by asking you both just to pick out one thing that has actually made not the difference, but made a big difference to the way perhaps you're thinking, if not just what you're doing on a day-to-day basis in your coaching. I'm going to go to you first, Reese. So for me, the big... The, the big thing was I had heard about the forgetting curve and retrieval practice before, but I don't think I had necessarily got a practical way of applying it before I read the book. So for me, all the stuff in there about um, the need to return to subjects that you've covered before, the need to check that learning has happened rather than just I've said it and we've covered it. It's, <laughs> it, 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 is it has anything actually changed when we're not concentrating on it? So that, that stuff about thinking about practice over over weeks and months rather than over the, the life of a session, um, that's the stuff that so far has made the right. biggest difference. Thanks, Reese And Mike, you, it might be the same thing, of course. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, um, I, I'm not going to bother trying to think of anything different because that's, that's something that I never really thought of as a coach and... And I, I try to think about when I was playing as well, and up until probably um, you know, the, towards the end of my playing career, you know, I was seeing glimpses of that. But um, but now, you know, having seen it and, and heard of it, and then and like you know, like you said, Dan, there's, it's not new concepts; it's, it's out there, and you know, then you can delve into even more. And, and you know, in theory, like there's there's infinite infinite amount of information out there. And that can only enhance us but I think the biggest I suppose it's the biggest takeaway for me not necessarily from the book but from situations like this is that it's just now about going out there and doing it um, I'm, a, I'm a big um, 
what's, I don't know what the right word is, but I'm a bit of a sort of a positive procrastinator. It's like, well, I'm not going to do this until I know absolutely everything there is to know about it. But then actually I'm just wasting time and by not actually just doing it and reflecting on it and this work, that didn't, um, and, and just constantly trying to take on new information. It's just, there's too much out there. It's, it's too overwhelming. So I think you've just got to, you've got to be strict and a bit like, you know, like we've talked about in this, you know, with the planning and, and, and the process, sticking to it and, and doing the same as a coach and just saying, right, I'm just going to buy into this and I'm not going to keep chopping and changing because who knows where, where it could go or where it won't go. So. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think it's uh, trying to get out there and do it is very important. And that was, um, one of the reasons why I was delighted I could get you two on because you're out there trying to do it. Sorry, trying to do it sounds awful as if you're no, not, no, really, not achieving it at all. But trying and, and, failing, and, failing. and failing. But you do, you're doing it. And um, I think we're all trying to. And the to make out that anyone has actually read the book and said, oh, I knew all of that already, or um, uh, it's only just adding to a few bits and pieces, will be a fool because the book is is incredible for that and Doug is extremely open to uh, discussing it um, and that's that's why he is um, very popular as a as a writer because he is always trying to find out new stuff and seeing how it's practical as well and well worth uh, not just looking at his book I think Risa you've, you've talked about some of the other stuff that you've read around what he he does and this is great and it's exciting so um it um this this podcast was about the coach's guide to teaching by doug lemoff um mike pope and reese williams uh very kindly joined me to talk about this and um share their ideas so mike thank you very much for your contributions pleasure thank, thank you very much for having me and um you know it's been a, it's been a, a really exciting chat and i've got more questions again so Oh, great. Before Excellent. I, before I tune in again, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Reese, thank you for you and your dog's intervention as well to the, the book. Yeah. Gents, thanks very much for that. Um, and uh, you've been listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. If you want to find out more about uh, what we've been talking about and more podcasts, go over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button and uh, just go Uh, for me to say thank you very much for listening and speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.